passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome, everybody, to this month's edition of The Wellness Policy. My name is Waiting. Joining me, as always, Jordan Goodman. Jordan, how are you doing? Yes. Yodele iu. I put in the time this past week to research uh, yodeling, both the history and perhaps uh, mental health benefits coming off of uh, your Monday night show with Mr. John Pollock. Perhaps we could go in, uh, in depth with this conversation on the uh, Christmas show this upcoming December. Uh, wow, inviting yourself onto the Christmas show, I see. I've been doing way, it for years, Way. Way ahead of schedule. Well, we shall see about that. And if you're promising a, a yodeling um, a, a special report, then, I mean, that would be tough to say no. Um, it's the vacillation between the chest and the head voice, of course. Is there a Christmassy? Is there a seasonal aspect to it? Uh, I'll have to put that effort in uh, over the next what eight months. Okay, we look forward to that. Uh, what are we here to talk about, Jordan, on the wellness policy? Um, we are here to talk about not giving a fuck way. Yeah, yeah, not giving a fuck. Do you typically give many fucks? Um, on Instagram, I typically don't, uh, this evening on up next mania. I certainly won't. Uh, but I also hold and carry and embody, uh, a ton of insecurity and vulnerability and, and all these lovely experiences as well. So it's a balance between the two in many ways. uh, I don't give a fuck. And in many ways, I certainly do give a fuck. And I think today we'll be talking about being a bit more mindful and intentional about the ways in which it may be in our best interest to give a fuck. Mm, right. I would definitely classify, classify myself as somebody who, who does give at least a fuck a day. It might be multiple fucks throughout the day. Um, but, you know, I was a little pleased to, I guess, see that that's what this book is. This book is not teaching you to not give any fucks whatsoever. It is simply to give the right fucks out of them all. But before we dive into the book, uh, we want to welcome everybody in the Zoom room. This is once a month that we do the wellness policy, and we go live for all patrons on the particular Thursday that we're recording this at 3 o'clock. So we encourage everybody to join us next month if you're not there right now. And everybody who is here, hello. Uh, we've kind of mentioned it off the top uh, before we went on air, but we do encourage open discussion on the show. So if at any point throughout the conversation you have something to say to join in on the discussion, whether it be about the book or uh, it'd be just a question about wellness or a comment about wellness. Just raise your hand in the Zoom room and we will get to you at an appropriate time. 
First, Jordan, before we even dive into the topic, how have you been over this past month? Whoa, I didn't know we were going to do this at the top way. Um, yeah, I've been good. Surprised. I was, yeah, I, I, thank you. I was in South Florida for two weeks. I'm fully vaccinated, as are my parents. Uh, I hadn't seen my parents in 13 months, uh, hadn't seen their dogs in 13 months, or been on a beach uh, or any type of vacation in, in that amount of time. So this month has been like really amazing uh, because of those reasons. It was very uh, meaningful and special and uh, certainly something I gave a fuck about. Oh, certainly. Yeah, I imagine that like a long time you know, without seeing your, your folks and your pops, I should say, and your moms, um, mm. that, that must've been quite the, the sweet reunion. That's awesome. How have you been, you know, with maybe some of the, your, your personal endeavors and, uh, you know, just things maybe even outside of family. Yeah, man. Uh, my focus really has been on building this like coaching and consulting practice, bringing in the, uh, the, the mental health kind of side of, of who I am and my professional experience with the communications and branding and entrepreneurial type aspects of who I am and my skill set. Um, so I'm, I'm very, very close to launching the website that I've been working on many months as I've been working daily with uh, dozens of clients the past uh, five or so months. Uh, I don't want to say the URL just yet, because uh, you gave me lovely feedback last night, and, and I want to implement all the feedback I've been getting before I, I share it with the post-wrestling universe. But I'm, I'm very energized, excited, and motivated about this, uh, this more career-slash-professional coaching and consulting practice. More importantly, though, I was maybe even more so referring to the flossing. How has the flossing been going? We need an update. Oh, it's been terrible. I've flossed like a handful of times the past month. I don't identify as a flosser anymore, Way. Oh, no. Well, would you say that that's because uh, you stopped giving a fuck about flossing? I or, did or stop we... giving a fuck. I think <laughs> it was the change in, of, in, of environment, uh, going somewhere else for two weeks, and then, you know, one day becomes two, and then it's three, and then four days that I've gone without flossing. But I will say, when I do resume, it's not a bloodbath anymore. So the gums have uh, developed some sort of resilience. Well, very good. Yeah, I, for me personally, like, I, I guess this would be the space where I would be able to talk about maybe um, how, how I've kind of been, been feeling and uh, what, where I've been at with my personal development in some of these the topics that we've been talking about. And I would say for the past month, because it's WrestleMania season and like there's so many other shows to catch up with and, and things to do around here, that it almost felt to me like I gave myself an excuse to just not be disciplined in other areas and so like i haven't worked out in like probably two weeks it's terrible and um i've just like man my, my sleep schedule has just been all over the place but i at the same time i'm trying to learn to tell myself that it's okay it's okay to have these periods once in a while where i just like don't really care because i'm in fact like maybe just more so even just building up the urge to want to you know do those things again but mm. i have been keeping up with the flossing I will say. Wow. Look, what a swerve. You ended up becoming the flosser of the two of us. Well, you influenced me. You're, you're, wow. uh, in Couldn't work it out. An influencer? You're an influencer. Yeah. I tried to work in a flossing, like a floss. In, in floss. Oh, that is, yeah, that is a little, uh, obtuse, yeah. we could say. Obtuse, maybe? <laughs> wow. Sorry. 
Wow. We'll a professional he is, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I think there's, there's like a push and pull when like giving ourselves permission to not be perhaps as um, intentional about the ways in which we take care of ourselves, because obviously we want to know the, the, the limit to which we need to create some internal motivation and to like get our ass to be doing the things we know we should be doing. But at the same time, being mean to ourselves and like talking down and negatively to ourselves, I would argue uh, does not help our cause in the long run either. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like anytime you might get into a bit of a rut, you know, it's important to, at least for me, remind myself that I can always jump, I can jump back into it. And that's not an excuse to just quit at, at all points. But for me, like the bigger danger I find is stopping something cold and then never jumping back into it. So, it, it, you know, it's thinking about maybe the long term, my long term career of flossing rather than maybe, you know, trying to have a consistent, you know, a string of, of, of uh, floss, a streak going on. Whoa, right. string. Nice pun there, way. Unintended, oh perhaps. Not even intended. Incredible. So, so thank you, Jordan. Nice to catch up with you. And uh, maybe at this point, let's move on to the topic of the day. And that is this book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck by Mark Manson. This is a book that I believe we chose because, you know, ever since we started the wellness policy, people have kind of given us their book recommendations. And this would be one that I would say has often come up. It's a very popular book. Anytime you walk into a bookstore or even go to Amazon, it's, you know, right, still right there always. Um, so, Jordan, what did you think about this book? I liked it. It did. It was not life changing. It wasn't uh, as far from, you know, the, the most impactful book of my life. But I would bet that if I was maybe 23 years old, I would be telling you that it may have had a, a dramatic effect on my life, as I'm sure it has for many uh, people. Um, much of what was discussed, I think, were like very helpful reminders. Uh, I've, I've found uh, many of the stories to be entertaining and interesting and impactful as they're paired with the wisdom shared. Um, didn't agree with everything, but in general, I think the book is a gift to our collective culture. And, and it's been wildly successful. I mean, like you said, it's in most bookstores. I mean, it's in a fucking Target, uh, like at the very front, at least in a, a few that I've been in over the past month, uh, as I've been paying more attention to just seeing how the book is, you know, interacting with the public more generally. And I believe it's sold over 12 million copies, which for a book in 2021 is uh, remarkable. Wow. Okay. 12 times platinum. Diamond plus two. Diamond plus two, right. Yeah. Um, You know, I've actually listened to this book on audiobook form uh, maybe about a year ago, and I can tell you that I retained nothing from it. So, like, revisiting it this time around, that probably just meant, you know, for me, like, I wasn't paying very close attention. But, like, revisiting it this time around, everything seemed relatively brand new to me. I could say... I didn't really enjoy the experience of reading the book and we'll maybe get into some of the reasons why, but coming out of it, I definitely find more value in the lessons now that I've kind of like broken it down and, you know, have been able to dissect it. For me, I think a big part of it is I I had really real trouble trying to define what the book is to me in my head as I'm picking it up. And maybe this is where we should start the discussion is the marketing of this book. The subtle art of not giving a fuck. What like were your initial reactions when you see a title like this? 
Well, so I had been well aware of Mark for at least, I think, a couple years before the book was published. Um, seeing just, I, I don't know how I found him. It was a blog post um, on his website that was presented to me, probably shared by someone on Facebook or something similar. So I was aware of him and I knew his writing style. And in fact, it was the, the blunt and, and often coarse language uh, that was interesting to me and grabbed my attention, um, as it has for many people. Um, so I could probably see a lot of people looking at the title of the book and then maybe reading the first chapter where he really lays the fucks in thick and uh, think it's all gimmick. And there perhaps isn't, um, you know, much substance. But I went into the book knowing that this guy uh, had as much stake as he had sizzle. Um, but it clearly is uh, an attention grabber. And it's been very uh, wildly effective, obviously. Very effective. Yeah, absolutely. The fact that I think it's, you know, it continues to like it, something you, you realize is that it, being clickbaity is definitely something you know, I would say you should try to avoid, especially if you're in news or something like that. But an element of that definitely is necessary in marketing. And look at the results of this. Okay, so this book comes out. And I don't know if it's the first book in self-help to have a, a cuss word attached to it. But man, I walk into the bookstore now and there's a whole shelf of cuss word self-help books. And I just took the screenshot from Amazon recommended list. There's like, stop doing that shit. Um... You know, you are a wise as fuck. You are a badass. Um, you know, uh, he's got a second book called Everything is Fucked. So evidently we are just all, you know, second graders, uh, very attracted to seeing bad words on screens. But I guess in particular with self-help, I mean, he does try to market this book as sort of your unconventional self-help book. And I think self-help in itself probably gives a lot of people, you know, like a feeling like they're talking to some very kind of stuck up old guy teaching them life lessons. This feels obviously a lot more relatable and probably appeals more to people who don't usually read these types of books. Yeah. And I think in general, perhaps it's a marketing issue with self-help or self-improvement or mental health culture in general, where I think in, in the culture uh, many see it as this softer, uh, perhaps uh, more woo-woo uh, kind of culture uh, where men may not be invited or masculinity, uh, whatever that means to you, may be permissible, um, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I know for me that uh, being someone in my early 20s, I contended with that because, you know, like I was this guy, like, playing in rock bands with people crowd surfing and starting mosh pits. And in many ways, like I had this, like this DIY punk rock kind of lifestyle, but yet I was also a psychology major, like in Buddhist meditation classes, interested in the self-help section at bookstores. And it felt like the things were very like incongruent. And there was this identity crisis of sort uh, throughout my 20s that I kind of had to wrestle with when ultimately I realized, oh, shit, it's like all these disparate parts of my personality that actually make me interesting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the, in a way, this you would you classify this as like a punk rock self-help book? Absolutely. Um, or the anti-self-help book. Um, and, and look, I think 10 years from now, 
will look back on this book probably being pretty influential, but perhaps not being um, as, um, uh, I'm, I'm struggling for the word, um, but perhaps as like punk rock as, as others may take it. I don't know. Um, I think a lot of what he's riffing on in this book is kind of becoming, um, you know, like well-reasoned uh, arguments in, in the fields of uh, like mental health and wellness. Let's maybe get into some of the the teachings of the book just to, for people who may have uh, read it and wanted to recap or people who haven't. Right? But, you know, at its core, this is a book about values, right? What does that mean to you, Jordan? Yeah, and, and I want to preface by saying you you shared that you were perhaps a bit unclear about what the book was actually about. Uh, I was in that same boat, too, until the end of chapter four, when he kind of set up the rest of the book, chapters five through nine. And I kind of realized, oh, this is a book about values. And uh, for me, and, and I think for the book, uh, with values, we're talking about what is important to us. What uh, should we actually choose to give a fuck about? And that is both our individual responsibility um, in the sense that it's up for us to decide. And for each of us, we're going to have a unique set of values that uh, is important for us to live by um, and perhaps be a filter through which to, to make, um, you know, behavior decisions and things of, of that nature. You decide, like, what is the trajectory of my life and what kind of experiences are permissible or not based on uh, one's values? Um, for me, I've been interested in the conversation about values for a long time. Um, I have some friends who work in at high levels, specifically in the, the the field of values and helping companies and individuals become more clear on what their values are and what it means to live by those values uh, day by day. Um, so for me, when I realized this is kind of the the centerpiece of the book, I actually got really excited about it because it is. Um, you know, it, it's a philosophy and practice that I really believe in um, and am, am proof of um, having a clear sense that things like uh, independence and um, authenticity and creativity and especially connection are values that are really, really important to me. Um, and I've dedicated much of my life to living those values. You use the word filter somewhere in, in there, and I, I think to me that that is probably the key and why, you know, the title, in, in now to come to think of it, it makes perfect sense because, you know, um, he talks about how, um, especially in self-help, there, there or, or just really in general, in media, there are so many different messages about how we should live, what we should do, do such and such to, to have a better life. This is a book teaching us how to filter all the noise to dilute the um the actual advice that i think we should each individually strive towards um because we can't possibly care about everything so what is the thing that we should be filtering out or to give a fuck about uh compared to you know and what to discard he goes on to talk about you know something uh, um uh he the book kind of starts to criticize the idea of pleasure seeking and why it is unhealthy ultimately to primarily seek pleasure. And when we say pleasure, we don't necessarily mean like candy or like, I don't know, like sex or something. It's more about even seeking mm, materialistic goals, for instance, you know, goals that maybe ultimately are unhealthy. Um, some of it may be even tougher than ever these days to avoid because of consumerism, because of social media, because of marketing constantly wanting us to like, 
you know, behave a certain, or buy something, buy something or, or do, or, or do a certain action. Um, did you have anything, any thoughts about um, that whole aspect of the book? Well, yeah, even with your like specific examples, like with pleasure. So candy, like the sugar rush, the, the quote, good feelings are super fucking immediate with sex. Like when you come, it is super fucking immediate and powerful to get the pleasure of that experience. So it, pleasure in all its forms is both the, both the easiest thing uh, or quickest thing to attain, but it's also the quickest and easiest thing to lose. And then it becomes that cycle of trying to chase after that again. And we can see this in, in uh, gambling or drugs or uh, addiction to shopping or food or whatever it may be. Um, he is arguing for more, uh, I, I think, perhaps more grounded, uh, intentional, longer term uh, values. Um, you know, I, I think there is often a big discussion about the difference even between like happiness and joy where joy uh, may be this thing that's uh, a bit more, I don't know if grounded's the right word, but it, there's, it's lasting, like a deeper, yeah. it's lasting, yeah, yeah, perhaps. Um, and often that comes from having, uh, I, I think, more bigger picture values for what we're trying to experience and seek in life. Um, and, and a big part of what he's arguing is being a, a bit more intentional about how we choose what to value. So for instance, like if we're looking for something like sex, well, that's really dependent on like having someone else that we find really attractive to be, um, uh, to interact with us in, in that experience. Um, so often what he argues is that uh, values that are externally dependent probably are not uh, good uh, long-term values for us to, uh, to deem valuable or important for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he actually has several definitions or his own uh, maybe, you know, recommendations of what are considered good values. And he says, good values are those that are reality based, socially constructive, and immediately and constructive, whereas bad values he determines are those that are superstitious, socially destructive, and not immediately or nor controllable. And he cites a few examples, one of them being, for instance, honesty being a good value because it is something that is within our control. A bad value may be something like desiring to be popular. It is a value that we, we can do things to increase our popularity, but ultimately our success is entirely dependent on how, how others react to you, you know, to, to determine whether or not you're popular and you will never be fully liked by any, everybody, right? Being honest. Well, I mean, you know, that just depends on how, how often you want to be honest. You know, if you chose right now to say, I'm honest, and if you act accordingly, then you are honest, you are successful. Being kind is, a, is another example of perhaps a good value that is entirely within our control and, and not dependent on others. So, yeah, as you said, you know, the author kind of suggests to strive maybe to adopt goal uh, values rather than specific goals. And beyond that, to make sure that the values that you do adopt are not, quote unquote, shitty values and he, then he gives on, goes on to like give this example of this World War II soldier who, uh, who who was a Japanese soldier who was in um, I believe Singapore or or uh, a South Asian country uh, or a Southeast Asian country, and the war had ended. Yet this soldier was so determined to never ever surrender, he ended up fighting this covert war all on his own, killing innocent people 
And despite, you know, constant uh, messaging from people trying to tell him the war was over, this man would not believe it, thinking that it was some sort of crazy, you know, um, mind tactic that he would go on for decades fighting this like war by himself. And the man became somewhat of a legend. But nonetheless, he is extremely determined and somebody who definitely has is aligned with values and acts accordingly. But none of that matters if the values that you've chosen are bad. So mm. it's a whole section really just talking about the importance of, of, of good values. For instance, like I, I think about this a lot in terms of superheroes. What separates a supervillain from a superhero, right? They're both just as determined to achieve their goal and, and, and achieve their value. Thanos has probably very, uh, is very determined to achieve his values, but they are arguably bad values as opposed to good. Yeah, many would argue that the most effective heels in pro wrestling are the ones that really believe uh, their motivations. Mm-hmm. I want to jump backwards a little bit more but, and, and um, to talk about a concept that he introduces called the backwards law. And mm. the backwards law is essentially, it's another word for saying no pain, no gain, where the quote that he gives is that the desire for a more positive experience is itself a negative experience. And paradoxically, the acceptance of one's negative experience is itself a positive experience. So he, you know, the entire chapter where he talks about this, I, I feel essentially says that we don't grow by avoiding problems in our lives. We grow by facing them and persevering through them. Mm-hmm. And I, he, he's very critical of like sort of like um, a, the culture of like participation medals. And um, he's very critical of like, you know, the entitlement that people might start to develop if they they are not taught from an early age to persevere through dip- disappointment and negativity. Uh, any thoughts about all that? Yeah, one, I agree. I think as a culture, we shield ourselves or often our parents shield, um, you know, the, uh, our, us uh, as, as children from quote, negative, uncomfortable experiences, but like an experience or like an emotion isn't inherently good or bad. Now, obviously, something like sadness or fear or anxiety is uncomfortable. It's unpleasant. But oftentimes, as a rule, these emotions, these feelings are there for a reason. They're there to help us. Um, So if I'm starting to feel anxious um, in in a given situation, look, I felt a little bit of anxiety before going live on Zoom this afternoon. That sense of anxiety was my body telling me that something important was about to happen so I should pay attention and be prepared for that. But I could easily interpret uh, perhaps my stomach feeling a bit weak or for some like their palms get a sweaty or a heartbeat starts racing much faster. And it it could be easy for us to start interpreting that as something uh, to avoid or to stop because it's unpleasant. So it really comes down to how we relate. This is why like mindfulness and self-awareness is so foundational with everything because it comes down to how we relate to our own internal experiences. Um, And often the things that are uncomfortable are actually there to help us make change for the better. Well, just an update. How do you feel right now? I feel fucking fine and I'm enjoying myself, but I also have a, a, a lifetime knowing that as soon as the thing starts, whether it's me uh, performing on stage or me sharing at a conference or me uh, meeting someone for a first date, as soon as I show up, it all goes away. 
but I have at least a, a trust in myself and a trust in that process that no matter what happens, it's always going to be okay. For me, like I'm, I'm always reminded that I know that I'm happiest and fulfilled when I'm productive, when I've achieved something that, you know, is not necessarily pleasant, but when, but gives me a sense of, I think, you know, reward and accomplishment. I feel a lot better after doing something that, that <laughs> is uh, productive than, for instance, spending the day sitting on the couch on my phone and just not accomplishing anything. Um, and to me, like, uh, it's, it's a reminder that, like, you know, what, the, what he is saying as, uh, in the book is that ye, life will always contain challenges. Life will always contain struggle. And if you're maybe taking the more Buddhist approach, like life is always going to be suffering. But the key is to surround yourself with problems that you actually enjoy having and enjoy solving. And you, I, another thing is that you, you can't just love the result, but you have to enjoy the process of solving the problem. Well, if the motivation is just result oriented, well, then when you get that, it, we talked about this with the Atomic Habits book, uh, the difference between uh, a process versus a goal. Like once you get to the end, well, then you're going to just start feeling a lack of not having the next thing to chase. So uh, I think it really comes down to, um, I guess, perhaps being a bit more invested in the process of climbing the mountain, in the struggle, uh, because that's where we grow. And ultimately, that's what becomes of our life. You know, that the end point uh, is so finite and it's so brief. And um, often, I think if we're just chasing that carrot uh, at the end of a stick, uh, once we grab it, we kind of find out, oh, shit, well, like, now I'm hungry for another one. The, the later half of the book really kind of like tells you, Okay, so we've established the importance of finding right values. Here are his suggestions for five different classes of values that you might find helpful. And, you know, in talking about maybe finding a pleasure in, you know, struggle, um, I think somebody might immediately think, well, some things you just simply can't do that. Like if somebody, if you have a terminal illness, you really cannot. And I, I, I struggle with, with that point, too. Like, he does have a section in the book where he kind of addresses this. But um, I guess I haven't fully digested what, what how I would, you know, react if given something like that. So I don't know if I would use the word pleasure. I think that's a bit um, intense. But perhaps meaning. Meaning in the struggle. Um, meaning in the suffering. Because then that creates context for the story of our lives um, as an opportunity to become responsible for our situation and to ultimately grow and persevere because of it. Mm, yes. Yes. Uh, so, you know, ch the, the, the first of these classes he talks about is the value of responsibility. And I found it really interesting when he says how problems will exist. Now um, how we view a problem is entirely up to us. Um, and he uses the example of long distance running where if, for instance, uh, somebody was for some reason forced to run a marathon in order to save uh, f his family from a kidnapper, that marathon is going to be awful to run. But if the marathon was his of his own choosing, you know, in, in celebration of whatever, be turning 50 or something like that or 40 or whatever, well, he's going to maybe enjoy that a, a little bit more. He also, like in his uh, video recap, brings up, I think, a better example of, for instance, going to a baseball game that you ultimately find boring. 
we can blame the players and we can blame the game for being boring, but being bored is ultimately our choice as well because we can well why don't we why don't you uh be get interested and learn about the subtleties of the curveball like there there is there are things you can do to basically he's saying to take responsibility for however you're feeling mm. yeah i think even to go back to the the, the marathon example of like someone having to run uh, you know, 26.2, uh, I, I, I think, miles, because uh, someone's pointing a gun like at your spouse's head and saying you have to do this or I'll pull the trigger versus actually training and having like your family there for support and it being a celebratory endeavor. Like the experience of running uh, those amount of miles is the same, but it's the sense of control, the feeling of control. Um, one was a, a, a choice that was um, like a, 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 a chosen choice in the sense that it was something that person wanted to do. And I think that's just kind of introducing the idea of our relationship um, around control more generally. Oftentimes, the more we try to like hold on to something, like if we're trying to be controlling of a spouse or being uh, controlling of an employee, then often that creates more friction and we're going to start creating, craving more of that control. And I think that's what he gets into in these last five chapters of a counterintuitive approach in the sense that it's really the inside work of how we relate to these different experiences, whether it's control or responsibility or permission, um, et cetera. So, uh, I think one of the punchlines that, that I think he, he, he communicates effectively um, is this idea that often when we're talking about responsibility, we conflate that with things being our fault. So we can feel guilty uh, and feel like it's now our, because something's my responsibility uh, or say, you know what, like the pandemic happened, that wasn't my fault, so I shouldn't be responsible. Well, it's like, guess what, motherfucker? That is the reality of your existence, whether you like it or not, and you are actually 100% responsible for how you choose to relate to it and how to respond to it. Many people choose to play the victim to certain circumstances because in the short term, that seems easier. It feels like it takes uh, less energy in the short term. It never plays out well. Uh, and it feels easier to like blame your mom or to blame the president or to blame society or a teacher or whatever. But ultimately, no matter uh, who's at fault for our given experience, it is always our responsibility to deal with it. And, and I think that's the argument that, that he really tried to make in the book. You know, sometimes I wonder if responsibility would, would, would be the best choice of, of words, you know, for, for maybe a, a, an idea like that. It's, well, the it's, root of it is response. Okay, sure. But I guess when you think about the word responsibility in our culture, we think more like obligation or job mm. uh, rather than like, you know, reaction, for instance. But like the idea that he presents here is very similar to like, I think, a Stoic or Buddhist teaching of like, you know, being able to, you can't control what happens around you, but you can control how you react to it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I guess there are some similarities of like, you know, his teachings here in Stoic philosophy, which he actually addressed in a in a blog post. Um, and maybe that's a topic for a different time. His his next value that he talks about is about the uh, idea of being uncertain. 
where, you know, in trying to decide whether or not you're right or wrong about a topic is not necessarily as black and white as it should be. Instead, we should be striving towards being less wrong every single time. Because even though there are things that we, we think are right right now that are definitive facts, in several centuries time, they many of them will be disproven thinking about, you know, in 500 years, how much we've changed with our thinking about what the world was like back then and how different and how much more we know about it. Now he goes on to talk about how certainty is an enemy of growth and growth is change. And to change means we must admit that we were previously incomplete or wrong. What do you think about this concept? Uh, I like it. I think it's an important conversation. Uh, this idea that if we crave and need certainty, well, then there isn't much opportunity for us to evolve and to mature. Uh, And if part of our perhaps like ego is to crave a type of certainty, well, then we will start again, like going external and start clinging to stuff to confirm uh, our sense of self. Uh, I think this, this chapter gets into humility it digs into being open-minded and it digs into uh, being able to say, perhaps I don't have all the answers and that's okay. And in fact, to be able to admit that and to remain open and curious and humble, um, like that's a sign of strength. That's a sign of maturity. You know, the identity part of it is is very fascinating. And one that uh, is interesting because it's come up in in other books that we've already read thus far um, Mm -hmm. where He talks about how, you know, having an identity that we're very closely tied to can keep us aligned on a path of growth, but it it can also prevent us from growing by boxing us into a defined role and creating limited beliefs. So I think the author is trying to suggest that we try to remain open-minded even about how we've defined ourselves to instead create loose definitions of ourselves rather than something that we are going to be tied to forever. Yeah, in Buddhist philosophy, they really take that to the extreme with this concept of uh, no self or uh, ego death and things of this nature. Um, And look, I think for most of these concepts, there's a balance that we can find. I think in, in these types of books, a lot of people that have negative opinions about them often, in my opinion, feel like, oh, I don't agree 100% with these arguments and thus like it's bad or it's wrong or it's not valid. Um, The point of the book is just to present theories and arguments and we can take what we want um, or not from it. Um, So I think if we, if we, if we come at this type of discussion or we come away from a book like this with very all or nothing or black or white thinking, uh, I think we miss out on a lot of, the, the wisdom that we can actually uh, take and implement in our own lives. Um, so is ego death my goal? Absolutely not. But uh, for the past, especially uh, almost 15 years now, it has been an intentional journey for me to catch trappings of my own ego uh, and to be able to let some of that go. And I've realized that the more I'm able to do that, the less insecure I become in my day-to-day life. The next chapter is all about the concept of failure and how failure can actually help us to succeed. He talks about something called the do something principle, which says if you're unmotivated, 
to simply do the thing and motivation will follow. Action isn't just the effect of motivation, it's also the cause of it. I thought that was a really powerful sentence um, and brings to mind, of course, James Clear's two-minute rule from Atomic Habits, where mm-hmm. we build momentum by doing the easiest, smallest action before you know using that kind of to, to build a bigger action. The next chapter is all about learning how to say no, and he kind of uses that idea to springboard into the idea of commitment and relationships. He says... You know, he admits the author, Mark Manson, admits to being a former uh, world traveling nomad and a womanizer. So somebody who, you know, didn't really want to stay in one spot, didn't really want to commit in one, to one relationship. But he goes on to talk about how he ultimately found those things tiresome and fulfilling. He does say when you're young, these are great things. But I suppose one, once you get older, once you have experienced those things, he is now finding more stimulation and possibilities through living in a single space and pursuing a long-term relationship with the wife. So by actually committing to a city and a relationship, he is saying no to alternatives and therefore seeing more fulfillment somehow. Uh, any thoughts on that, on all that? Uh, sure. Um, and not only that, uh, city, uh, woman, but also career, the sense of uh, depth versus breadth. So he argues... I think in, in, the, in his 20s, it was helpful to have a, a wide breadth of experiences and to interact with all kinds of different people and uh, cultures and whatnot, uh, because then you start tasting shit and you can figure out, oh, this tastes good and I want to attract and experience more of that. And these things don't feel good or don't taste good. And I'm going to steer clear of that in the future. Uh, but ultimately, the argument that he makes is once your values uh, are a bit more defined, it's being able to commit to certain things and then being able to experience uh, whether relationships um, or projects and, and, and things of this nature um, in, in a more depthful way. Um, and this idea of being able to commit to something to say, I'm going to give a fuck about this thing actually gives you a lot of freedom because you're able to discard all these other things that you no longer need to uh, give a fuck about. So you can be more focused, more intentional um, and, uh, and start creating more of a long-term uh, relationship with these aspects of your life. Something I've kind of learned in, in dealing with my own commitment issues early on is that like when you choose to not commit that in itself is a commitment, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of like st- stocks okay let's say you have a big pool of money that you've inherited you can keep that money in cash in a savings account where its potential remains limitless and it's safe but you also have to realize that money just sitting there depreciates from inflation and you're also losing out on the potential growth from the time that it could have being invested for instance in in something else so when you're choosing to not make a choice that in itself is a choice mm-hmm. well so, said Thank you. So, so the rest of the, 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 you know, it's the rest of the, the kind of chapter. I really enjoyed this chapter. One of my favorite chapters in the book. Um, the last chapter talks about death and it's, it's a very, uh, again, very stoic and maybe Buddhist philosophy of always being aware of your imminent death. And he kind of uses it as a way to say that <sighs> he gives this like very, um, dark i would say um personal anecdote of him being very walking very close to an edge of a cliff and having all these thoughts rush through his head giving you the impression that you know like of a man thinking about jumping off but 
Um, I ultimately took it to mean that there are few more effective ways of figuring out figuring out what's truly important to you in your life than realizing that you're about to die and that you have a very limited time on this earth. How did you take it? Uh, he said, I think it was perhaps the, the piece of writing he's done his career that he's most proud of. Um, when I looked at the, the table of contents before starting the book, it was the chapter I was most excited about because this concept is just something that I've been passionate about and fucking with for a long time. Uh, I believe one of the health, healthiest things that I do is contemplate and think about and pay attention to the fact that one day, relatively soon, I'm going to die. And it is that uh, awareness, it is that, um, uh, it, it's it owning that, something that like is fucking terrifying and the reason uh in many ways why like religions exist and and, and whatnot because it's so a, a fucking head trip to consider the fact that we will not exist at some point but uh so most people choose to ignore that and push it away uh, i've found that when i pay attention to my own mortality one that makes everything else that seems significant or scary it's completely minimized. Like nothing can really touch that because the sense of, well, I'm going to die anyway. So like how, how bad could the rejection from the girl be? Or how bad could me like um, messing up while I'm performing in a concert be compared to death? But also it's the flip side of life. So the more that you can accept the fact that you will die, I think the more grateful you will be for the fact that you're alive and thus you will be more committed to living a fuller life um, and bringing more aliveness to your present day experience. He also goes on to talk about how he believes the only way we can be comfortable with the concept of death is by having something bigger for us to live for that'll exist beyond our lifetime. Uh, so for instance, you know, this might be part of the reason that they'll explain why athletes strive so hard to achieving records or getting their name on, you know, a, a, the Stanley Cup, or creating catalog of art that lasts if you're a musician, or having people having lots of children, or why somebody chooses to fight in a war to, you know, dedicate themselves to a certain belief. Um, any, any thoughts on this final concept in the book? Well, I'll share how I relate to that in the sense that when I was like 19 years old, I was very self-absorbed, because I was very insecure. So I was looking for uh, external affirmation to uh, prove to me that I'm interesting and I'm creative and I'm attractive and, and all these things. And that motivated uh, me uh, to find a lot of success in, in a rock band. And that was coming to me um, because I was spending a lot of my energy uh, trying to get the universe to reflect that back to me. Uh, what I found in those experiences, though, was that it was the connection with the hundreds of people at a given show that I was um, literally connecting with that started to feel a bit more meaningful and longer lasting um, to the point that, you know, 15 years later, I still get people like a couple of days ago, this guy reached out to me and was like, Hey man, that band you had in like 2005, like that really meant something to me. And I still think about it. And that experience really helped me realize that, it's way more than just about me. 
And so when I started uh, my beatwell practice, where I'm essentially putting percussion instruments into the hands of, quote, non-musicians to help facilitate group empowerment, to help facilitate um, non-surface level, more meaningful connection uh, amongst a group of people, both within themselves and amongst other people, uh, then it started becoming way less about me and my needs and my ego. Obviously, my needs and my ego are still wrapped up in that in some version, but the spirit of service and the uh, attention of the other or the world more generally became much more important to me. It became more of a value to me. Uh, I will die, but it is part of my life's mission to make sure that the practice of coming together in community to drum for healing and for community building, I want to spend a lot of my energy during this lifetime to make sure that more people know about this potential, that more people are empowered to activate this potential. And in a sense, like this feels like a gift to humanity that's much larger to myself. And therefore it feels more sustainable and it feels more meaningful to me. So, you know, the last kind of several topics that we talked about are his suggestions of values. And uh, I definitely think like some maybe we might gravitate or you personally might gravitate more towards than others. But I definitely find them all interesting. How did you feel? Uh, well, you kind of gave your thoughts overall about about your thoughts on the book. My my over thoughts, all thoughts are that I, you know, I, I think especially once I really dug into the book uh, towards the end. I found a lot of the things that I agreed with and, and were useful, some things I didn't agree with. But I would say overall, I had the issue of like trying to fit everything within the structure of, I think, what he's trying to say. And maybe that comes down to like how I was able to read it or maybe what my preconceptions were picking up the book and reading this title and then entering it and finding so many different kind of like loosely related things that are kind of related but also not as directly related as something like for instance uh, atomic habits or something like mm -hmm. that that i had maybe some difficulty you know retaining and navigating a lot of it um but overall it's it's definitely an interesting discussion um it's got a lot in line with like you know buddhist and stoic philosophies that i i'm i'm curious about um, and what exactly has he said in, in comparison to, to those things about, about this book? Uh, in relation to like stoicism and, and Buddhism? Yeah, he addresses it on his blog, right? Yes, yeah, so he has a blog post that I highly recommend. Um, and I think a lot of people assume he is uh, a stoic. I think a lot of that is just, there's obviously overlap to his philosophy. Um, but stoicism in like cultures that you and I weigh interact with day to day, especially on the internet, like stoicism is like, it's hot right now. Uh, there are many popular books so on it. Hot. It's so hot. Um, but so he would argue that much of his philosophy, and I think this is one of the reasons why it's a, a harder book maybe to wrap our arms around because it's a philosophy book and it's mm -hmm. not so cut and dry as this is a, uh, um, a book about uh, habit formation or it's a book about meditation. Uh, he would argue that his uh, philosophical foundations are more grounded in uh, Buddhism and, and I believe existentialism, uh, this idea of creating meaning for our experience. Um, but the, the, the blog post, the article, I thought was really effective in just uh, laying out 
the um, you know the different underpinnings of these three different schools of thought. Um, I do want to share just because uh, I used it as some sort of clickbait in promotion of this episode. Um, but one of the ways in which I have used death uh, very effectively, essentially to like get the job at Ring of Honor that I had a few years ago. Um, I was kind of waiting for you to introduce it. Why, why didn't you do it uh, earlier when we were talking uh, about the chapter? I, cause, because uh, I, was pl- I think you just you kind of moved on to the next thing, right? Oh, I'm sorry. Um, look, there's a, I mean, you, we kind of, I, I realized, you know, we want to be respectful of everyone's time, but what I do like about this book is that I think each of the chapters could have been their own episode of the wellness policy. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the do something principle, like I could have been happy to riff on that for 15 minutes. Uh, and there's many other things like that in the book. So, um, to perhaps uh, tie up the previous conversation, I found a lot of value in this book. Uh, and I think many people will find a lot of value in this book. Perhaps maybe it's a particular chapter or a particular story, and maybe the entirety of it uh, may not be as effective for you. Um, but I would recommend this book. Absolutely. Uh, I don't think anything sells that many copies, millions of copies, um, just because it has an interesting title. Um, yeah. So, so the, the, this, this story, I used to do these, these sessions with this really talented clinician named Boris. And he was a physical therapist, but the, the work I was doing with him, like integrated the, you know, somatic of the body work, but also emotions and energy and, and things of this nature. And at this point, without getting too deep into it, uh, I had developed a relationship with, uh, with Joe Koff, the COO of Ring of Honor for uh, a good while at that point and, and a nice rapport and relationship we were, where we were in regular communication. Um, and I was lying on the table uh, during this session and it was the end of the session. And I wasn't like thinking about Ring of Honor or Joe, at least overtly, but it had been a few weeks since I'd last seen him at a Ring of Honor show. And my brother planted the seed like, hey, man, I think you'd have a really good shot at doing something of significance there if you asked for it. And so I think that seed had kind of blossomed at the end of the session where I was lying on a table and I really had the experience of lying on my deathbed and having the future potential experience of feeling the pain of regret for not calling him up and asking for an opportunity. And feeling the pain of that regret was so fucking overwhelming way. And this sense of like, oh, like, you know, uh, who knows when I'm going to die? Hopefully it would be 60 plus years from now, but nothing is obviously guaranteed. And if I had the privilege of a deathbed on which to reflect on how I spent my life, if I had not pulled the trigger on asking for something at Ring of Honor, it would have been so painful, far painful than, far more painful than any rejection I would receive for asking. Uh, so Boris, I committed to him. I said, uh, tomorrow at 1 p.m. Uh, after work, he and I uh, worked at the same uh, day program. I said, I'm going to call and ask for a meeting because I want to contribute at a high level in his organization. And that's what I did. And it was so terrifying to me, Way. Uh, again, we're talking about the necessity the meaning, the importance of unpleasant experiences. Me calling and asking for an opportunity 
was so terrifying because it was something that I wanted so bad. So those negative or uncomfortable uh, experiences were something to really respect when in many cases it would have been, quote, easier in the short term to say, oh, that feels like too much. That feels like I'm looking over uh, a metaphorical cliff and that's scary and I'm just going to back away and not do it and play it safe. So it was really that experience way of owning the fact that I am going to die and then being able to uh, feel that potential regret of not asking for the scary thing um, that got me to pull the trigger the next day and give him a call and say like, hey man, I'm ready to contribute at a high level and would love the opportunity to chat more about it with you. And is this maybe a, a tactic that you've been able to use since then? Hell yeah, all the time. I mean, like whenever I'm scared of doing something um, or something feels overwhelming or, or, or something just sucks, like just thinking about the fact that I'm going to die is the greatest motivator. I mean, for a long time now, throughout wherever I live, I typically have a piece of paper and in big, bold Sharpie, I have written out, you are going to die. And I've had like, you know, dates come over and be like, yo, can you like turn that around? Like, that's kind of that's fuck, fucked up, man. But for me, it's that constant reminder that is that like tap on the shoulder of like, yo, Jordan, make sure you're doing what you ultimately want to be doing. Make sure you're doing something worthwhile. Uh, if I'm feeling unmotivated, if I'm, if I'm noticing uh, that I'm being a bit lazy, reminding myself of the finality of my time here, which is a gift and is precious, that's enough to uh, give me a jolt of energy to start living uh, in a way that's more intentional and more aligned with my values. Thank you for sharing, Jordan. That was very nice. Uh, at this point, we want to throw it out to the Zoom room. If anybody has anything to say, not just about the topic, of course, but if anything is on your mind regard in regards to the topic of wellness or really anything, if you just want to say hi, we're more than open right now, so just raise your hand up in the Zoom room. We uh, now have a new thread in the forum for the wellness policy, and there are uh, we're taking questions there or just feedback to the show or uh, really anything else here. So if you just go to forum.postwrestling.com and then you go to the wellness policy questions and discuss discussion thread, you can see uh, – uh, uh, or you can just post in there. We'll keep also, you know, any sort of resources or books that we will be talking about for future episodes. You can also find links to in there. Um, and we just have one piece of feedback here, but we got a Rob who says, I read the book several years ago. I agree with most of his tenants. However, I found his writing style off putting. I just couldn't relate to the life he led or any of the autobiographical parts of the early part of the book. The biggest part of the book that helped me was the discussion on death and grieving. At the time, I hadn't experienced a significant death in my life, and since, I, since then, I have had to grieve too. The anecdotes and discussion on grieving personally helped. Still not the biggest fan of his style, but definitely substance there. I definitely would agree with Rob like on the style of, of storytelling, or at least the style of writing early on. Like It felt so much more like bro-speak to me, <laughs> and that was more of a turn-off than maybe it would be a turn-on for some people. But um, as the book progresses, I, I think you just have to, for me, understand that it's part of the gimmick. And just because somebody writes a certain way doesn't mean that they don't have anything good to say. Um, so it's something you kind of have to work past. Some people like it. Some people don't. 
I think it's a case of, you know, we know the wisdom for pro wrestling. Be yourself, but turn it up to 11. I have a sense that for Mark Manson, this is very much a representation of who he was, at least when he wrote this book. Uh, but he leaned a bit more into it, uh, not unlike what I'll do tonight on Up Next Mania. Like, I'm going to be myself, but I'm definitely turning up aspects of my personality uh, in service of entertaining uh, everyone in, in that experience. Um, I, look, I think this is just a fucking Trojan horse. You know, most of the 12 million people that uh, bought and perhaps read this book, uh, I'd argue, would not be interested in a lot of these concepts. I think the fact that they were at a, a, a Target or at an airport convenience store and saw a book that says uh, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, that was a way in. That was an extended hand. Uh, the language he used, the cultural references he used are speaking to uh, millennials and perhaps younger in ways that I think has been an effective bridge to get people on board with uh, considering some of these topics, not unlike the wellness policy being an extended hand to pro wrestling fans to engage with uh, some of the topics that you and I have been discussing. You mean the wellness fucking policy? The wellness okay. motherfucking policy, people. That's what we're going to start calling it now. Let's go to our calls. Nick, let's start off with you. Nick, what is on your mind? Thank you for joining us. What's up, us. guys? Hey, man. Hey, dude. Yeah, it's funny because Jordan earlier talked about how he doesn't think the books had as like a life-changing effect on him because he wasn't 23 when he read this, but I was probably 21 when I read this. So that's why I think I, I look at this book so differently. And um, you guys took a lot of what I wanted to talk about, but I'm looking at page 124 and what sticks out to me is him talking about like he's like equating like the way you think to a, the game telephone that kids play. And I find that such like an interesting metaphor to just how we think in general. And the whole idea of the more you think about something, like the truer it's going to get and kind of that power of your mind. And, and I think it connects to the meditation that you guys have been doing and your uh, the wellness policy last month and how it really comes down to like what you give yourself is what just, you become. So I, I like I like how, what he said in regards to that. Just to clarify what what Nick is talking about for people who might not have read it, I believe that chapter is is about the certainty aspect of it. Um, how, is that right? On. Yes, it's a, the chapter chapter six. You're wrong about everything. But yeah. So am I. Yes, you're right. Yeah, we're like we have a tendency as humans to the more we think about a certain thing over time the more we think it's true, even though it might have, you know, started off as maybe only being partially true or, uh, you know, might, it might be part of our memory that is somehow not necessarily like as firm as it was. But over time, thinking more and more about it, we think it was too, true. He brings up like a very dark story about like, you know, um, somebody who accused a parent of sexual abuse and then later on finding that this was something that was not true. That was um, somehow came out because of what was the form of therapy that, that they were talking about, Jordan? Uh, Honestly, I don't remember. Repressed memory therapy, something like that? Perhaps. Something like that. Anyway, so just to give a bit of context to what Nick said, what were some other things that uh, you, you, you gravitated towards, Nick? Um, I think you, Kai, you guys kind of mentioned it. Um, I'm just looking at my book. I read it a few years ago. 
and I highlighted a bunch. And uh, I, I think the whole ne negative being a positive and, and positive being a negative really stuck out to me as well. And it, it, it's interesting because that's kind of like self-help in, in general, isn't it? Like if, if you are so behind self-help, aren't you kind of telling yourself that there's something about yourself that needs to change versus kind of this approach by the author it's it's I'm going to tell you how it is but at the same time like you can change but I'm not gonna I don't know is what I'm saying makes sense in, in the in the in like the I don't know is it it makes sense but it also doesn't make sense and I have no, yeah I have, no, what, what I have I'm, had what the I'm, same yeah, reaction yeah, yeah trying to like formulate my my own opinions about this book is like it is i think very in many ways and the author would say that himself naturally contradictory in many mm. parts um i i think the idea of expecting and chasing and needing po only positive experiences the craving of that is inherently negative where being accepting of the fact that there will be negative experiences for us, that is a positive thing, which is very counterintuitive, which is the subtitle of this book. It's a counterintuitive approach to life. Um, like, I think a lot of what Nick is sharing, many of us are going to interpret these things in different ways, which I think is one of the lovely things about having uh, discussions like this, is for us to become a bit more clear on how one others uh, interpret some of the, the the ideas presented, but it also helps us become more clear in in our own thinking about these ideas. Let's go up next to David. David, you're on the air. Thank you for joining the Wellness Policy. Hey, gents. I guess I'm about to see you again in a few hours for what is going to be the greatest national anthem you've ever heard at the Up Next Mania. So I am hooked. Anthem? Wow, I did you're going to get to see me sing. So Canadian as well. Is, maybe that's a reason either to tune in or not tune in. Um, but Canadian, I'm, I'm really, Canadian as well, David, or just the, the uh, just, well, you'll see it's, oh, it's okay. I'm singing, but also with some, uh, special lyrics. So, hmm. all right. Yeah. What a hook. I'll build your, uh, your intrigue. Um, but I'm really glad to join you. I have, so many thoughts. I could probably chat with you uh, for an hour about this book, but uh, what Jordan posted uh, online on Twitter really resonated with me. I'm glad I'm able to join you about how powerful a motive, you know, thinking about your death is. And as I think about it, I think that's something that has motivated me a lot in my life. I actually had a it was nationally sibling day. So I actually started thinking about this. It's almost 20 years since my brother uh, passed away and he passed away when I was a senior in high school. Mm. And that kind of, I was already kind of driven before that, but I think having that experience and seeing it up close. And I always remember the story of Bill Clinton, I think had a, a you know, a younger brother. I think he died, you know, when he, he was a kid or something, but he was talking about how that, drove him. And that's definitely, I, I always figured, you know, why not? At, at, at the end of the day, we're going to be in a box and, you know, it's it's all going to end, end the same for everyone. Uh, and I have kind of forgot about that, you know, recently I'm, I'm in, in a business where getting, you know, you, getting rejected every day, you know, is just part of it. And it's just kind of ingrained in me 
but I was thinking about it and made me think too of, uh, you know, other areas of my life where even in career, you know, things, maybe other areas of my life, I didn't take risks. And I just think that's a really great reminder for all of us to think about every day that, you know, at the end of the day, that is where we're going to end up. And one thing that's so interesting in the entertainment industry is I know people who are farther ahead of me career-wise and they're miserable. And we all have heard of like, you know, Anthony Mordain, all these famous people who, you know, jump off a building. And at, at the end of the day, you know, what's going to matter is the people in our lives and who we're spending our, you know, time with. Um, so yeah, if I can, inter- if I can interject, David, and yeah. at first, sorry to hear about that loss. Um, but it seems like, again, you know, me just knowing a bit about you, you've had many interesting, incredible, quite frankly, remarkable experiences. And, um, and like, I, I'm, I'm, it's heartening to know that you were able to, I, I guess, like come to these conclusions or to make meaning in, in this sense to help motivate you. Um, uh, toward the end of what you were sharing with us so generously, you were talking about values. Um, I know people that are worth tens of millions of dollars that are miserable, but for much of their life, uh, their bank account was what they valued most. Um, so, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm glad for, you know, perhaps someone like you, and it's encouraging for me to even just share conversations like this more publicly, especially uh, amongst a lot of mostly younger men um, and pro wrestling fans as well, um, to help us really consider what is actually meaningful and valuable for us uh, before we're 80 years old and realize, oh shit, like that thing I've been chasing all my life wasn't actually the thing I was looking for. Well, well you know, it's really interesting. You've got like what, one or two more minutes, but share an interesting story that's pretty relevant about this. So you guys, you know, both know I write and, you know, uh, my first play that I wrote that kind of got me started was about this, right? So I was working in politics, and I lost my job, and I get a new job I didn't like, and I was miserable. And I'm like, well, this doesn't make sense, right? Because everything in society told me I should want, you know, prestige. I had that. I should want money. I should want success. I'm like, well, why can't I sleep at night, right? I like, I had insomnia. It's like something is wrong here because we've been raised, you know, to keep chasing all these things. But it's very interesting because then starting to get into acting, writing, part of me, like, you you know, kind of sees, saw myself repeating that behavior. And I just had to take a step back. And I actually did get to a place where I don't give a fuck. I just acted in reading last night and I'm in a place career-wise where I'm like, I'm stuck for the first time in a long time. But we did this reading and I'm like, fuck, like, I, this is the best acting I've ever done. And I've got this, you know, web series, Jordan, I think you've seen it out right now called Bloomy Wood. And it's like, I've had like the casting director of Will and Grace be like, this is amazing. I got like called into audition for a big Showtime show off it. And I'm like, it's great. And it's still kind of stuck too. And I'm really at the place now where I don't give a fuck. Like for the finally, the first time, like I believe in my ability and my talent. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do what I can every day, but it's not worth making myself miserable. And like that to me, you know, it's like at this point, like the people you're spending time with and ultimately, you know, you go for what you want. Some things are out of your control, but what is your in your control is your mentality 
and how you're choosing to spend my time, your time, right? And that's why, in a way, now I sent you and John this note about how how much you know pro wrestling has been like unexpectedly a great part of my life. Is like, oh, this is something that I enjoy every day. Like I've met all these people that are not connected, you know, even to my personal life, not connected to my career, and it's just something that brings me happiness, you know. And I look forward to every day and sometimes that's like as rewarding or sometimes more rewarding than career stuff going on so mm-hmm. very cool man thank you so much for sharing david much appreciated and uh, see you at the up next mania yes see patreon.com slash up next podcast yeah, come on up you should know uh, I don't up know. next podcast yes on the patreon go there uh, and you can have access to not only up next mania uh but my doink the clown episode oh all right let's go up next to our man neil our man neil thank you for making the time hey Hello, neil. guys how's it going hey jordan very well anyway yeah I, at the expense of repeating something that's already been said i read this book maybe three years ago and didn't really enjoy it because of the tone i think that's what rob had said in the written feedback he comes across to me as a bit of a frat boy, kind of alpha male, kind of, you know, abrasive character. It's just not the way I like to be communicated to. But at the same time, what also has been said is uh, this is there, there's value in this. And that's the point I really wanted to call in with, which is whether it's atomic habits, whether it's um, uh, the four agreements, um, the power of now, you know, there's, 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 there's books out there that are really popular. Um, none of them are the Bible. Well, you have to be a Christian first to believe in every word of that. But what I mean is it's not gospel. It's not, you can take what works for you, I think, and you can take what's true for you out of these books and make up your own kind of philosophy that works for you. Um, my ex- The example I would have of a book that I despise for example, is the secret. Um, but I don't deny anyone the, you know, the joy of that, or if it seems to help them, because I feel that that book is um, victim blaming, really, when you flip it, it's, you know, if people are familiar with it, it's this thing, the law of attraction, you, you're meant to visualize what you want to draw into your life, um, and have mood boards and all these things around your house, and you'll get, you know, the universe will manifest this for you but the flip side of that is that if you're um, a starving child in Yemen somehow you have pulled this into your existence you know so I've I've gone slightly off uh, off topic there but uh, I I also just wanted to say to take the book but was there something that you took away from the book that was positive yeah that's what 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 I wanted to say was like at at completely face value um, the insult lord of not giving a fuck is I feel the art of that for me is going back to last month's episode, really, and it's meditating on what's important. And if you can find some clarity and just uh, relax, find a bit of solitude and concentrate on your breath and think about these things, what's really important, you know, if someone has wound you up, it's, it's it's often a person that has annoyed you or something at work or something like that. Does it really 
matter in the big scheme of things. And that goes right back to the ultimate scheme of things, which is, as Jordan has mentioned, life is finite and it's really too short to worry about a lot of some of this stuff. So, uh, you know, that works for me. Um, It may not work for other people, but it's just to contemplate that in a quiet space and uh, you'll come to the right conclusion probably. Yeah, uh, very thank you, Neil. Very well said. Okay, thanks. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I want to thank you, Neil, for the Curaprox toothbrush recommendation. It has uh, changed my life. Are you familiar, Jordan? I'm not. I do want to say it. Say oh, again. Okay. Oh, I, they're, they're Swiss toothbrushes that are so incredibly soft. You've mentioned this on a wrestling podcast. Yes, yes, I have. Yeah. yeah. Um, that I do. Uh, subscribe to patreon.com slash post wrestling uh look the, the subtle art of not giving a fuck the the language the communication of it perhaps did not work for neil i would argue that's a good thing when we try to be uh, all things to all people chances are we're not going to make a meaningful impact with anyone i would argue much of the success of the book uh besides it having uh you know rich uh, ideas to to share is that it is written in a very defined voice and personality uh, that was very resonant, obviously, with a lot of people. Um, much of the wisdom he shares is not original thought, but and you can find other books with different voices and different personalities sharing much of the same wisdom. Um, but I think the power or the, maybe the, the, the lesson in, in this conversation in particular is uh, the... The, the, the ways in which we communicate um, and finding the, the, the groups of people, the communities of people um, that are more resonant with us and being able to be, um, you know, lean more into the different personality traits and the cultural hooks that are resonant with a certain group of people. That's ultimately what's going to make us more effective in whatever communication is going to be. We go up next to Jordan, the other Jordan, Jordan Yates. If you're there, Whoa. please unmute yourself. Hey, how you doing? Hey, how's it going, guys? What up, Jordan? Not much. Jace, we're in the house. Mm. <laughs> something I've never said before. Yes, something that has been said to me and something that I'm relaying to you. Wow. Well, now the responsibility is on me to pass it on to the next Jordan I interact with live on the internet. Yes. Um, thank you, guys. This has been great content. First time actually attending this. Um, Thank so you I'm going to give here. you my, my thoughts about the book itself. Please. Um, I, said to, I said to Wei on the pre-show that I read this book a year ago, but I actually read this book uh, three years ago, and I share the same t- sentiments as Jordan. Really weird for me to say Jordan, but yeah. Um, if I read this earlier in my life, like around my 20s, I would have grabbed more, gravitated more towards the book. But the ideas of the book still are permanent to me. Um, I'm going to say values, which was really ideal. And the whole idea about the whole chapter designing towards being more leaning towards your death. I'm looking at it more like, is it more leaning towards your death or is it more us 
preparing like our sorry i'm getting lost in my thoughts here it's, but it's a difficult concept to discuss but yeah please uh do your best um the whole idea of the whole death thing is more or less me designing a way to make sure everything that i have to say is out there in the universe when i die gotcha. that's creates for like, me for me sorry to cut you off jordan for me it creates a sense of urgency yes to live intentionally yes. mm-hmm. to, to make the most of, of your time while you have it yes it's like what are people going to say to you about you at your funeral when you die what is your legacy that you're going to leave behind hmm. and, and i think it may be valuable to also bring up I, I often talk about the idea of pooling at opposite ends i use this in 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 many examples but for the one we're talking about yes the 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 relative time of our life here is really short and thus there should be a sense of urgency at the same time if I get another good 60 years out of my life, that's a really long fucking time as well, which is why if we can balance the sense of urgency, at least for myself, with a sense of patience, then I think there's a magic in that balance. Uh, I would argue much of Wei and John's success, especially launching post-wrestling, was almost a decade of creating uh, wrestling podcasts. There was a lot of patience and commitment to that endeavor that put them in a position to be very successful. So at least for me, I'm always trying to balance this sense of life is short and I should be urgent and proactive. But at the same time, uh, it's helpful for me to also be patient and play for the long game. If you don't mind me adding, you know, for for me, actually, like John and I, at least we never went into doing these sort of podcasts with the intention of setting up any sort of goal of someday starting our own thing and having a a, a full time job doing it. Um, and going back to the, the, the book, you know, rather than patience, I would classify us doing these podcasts as something we just enjoy doing. It is a pain sometimes, but it is a pain we enjoy. It's a struggle we we enjoy. We love talking to, like, despite what people might think about Raw, and, and especially this past week, and how I sounded on that episode, I love talking about it. I love the process of sitting there, taking my notes, and then going on air with my friend and just getting it all out there. I It's fun. So the process is enjoyable, and, and I that somewhat ties back into the book. And to use the language of the book even further, like you chose better problems for yourself. I guess so. Yeah. Uh, any other uh, thoughts, Jordan? No, I'm complete with that. And anyways, keep on the good work way. And Jordan, it's been nice talking to you. Likewise, brother. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jordan. Appreciate the call and your thoughts. Let's finish things off with Maddie B. Maddie B, are you there? Hello, 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 folks. How are you? Matty B, is that your new intro? Uh, might be now. I don't know. If you like it, I'll, I guess I'll go with it. Can you do it again? Uh, hello, hello, uh, hello, 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 folks. What's going on? Hello. That's good. Three hellos. Yeah. Not bad. Hello, know, hello, know, hello, I, I, hello, folks. It's either hey or yo or hello. You know, Wait I'm trying second. to figure out, you know, going through those to see, see um, what the best one is, but I, I, uh, this one seems hold pretty on, good right now. Hold, though, so. hold on a second, Matty B. I think I think a certain Davy Portman will will take issue with that. Isn't that his thing? 
His thing is more of like an aloe, aloe. Yes, oh, that, yes, not that, that, yes, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, more of the, the, the accented version, yes, yeah. And he doesn't include the folks. That's kind of Bugs Bunny of you, Matty B. Oh, you know, I, I, I was a big fan of him back in the day, so. Mm, I like it. Completely original. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah. Welcome to the wellness oh, policy. Three thank yous, too. <laughs> there you go, yeah. Um, so, um, I, 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 do, I haven't read the whole book yet. Um, I, I got through reading it, and then uh, we've been busy, like um, we're in the process of selling our family home, and a lot of things happening. So it's kind of, I kind of got just distracted from the book. Um, but for the um, first, uh, I guess, eleven less than half that I've read, um, the beginning is the feedback loop from hell, um, mm. which I read that and that, like that, pretty much appetized me. Um, where care, care, care to explain? Yeah, please. Yeah. So, like, when it's, like when the examples he puts, you know. You get angry at something, so like, uh, not even like, almost like a, a small little thing, right? But then you realize, okay, it goes that, and then all of a sudden, you know, then I'm, well, why am I angry at that for? And then it goes on to, you know, why am I angry at this for? And then you know, kind of it's encapsulates states my um, most of my day, and I'm like, everything happens, and I'm like, okay, we'll start off from that small thing, but now it's like this. Like, you know, from certain, just, you know, having a conversation with somebody and like, oh, then I'm like, I'm already agitated just because of that, right? Also, um, anxiety, right? Where I still, I've had that for a while. Um, you know, I'm excited about, you know, a certain thing, right? Where I'm like, oh, like it's it really, really, at the end of the day, it's not that big a deal, but I'm like, I'm anxious. And, you know, then like, I know it plays off other things as well. Same thing with um, um, uh, what are, uh, any, any other emotions I feel where I do something or, and it could be, you know, like a, a huge thing or a small thing, but it kind of just, it, it's it almost like rolling down a cliff where it's like, you know, it's like snowball, snowball effect where it's like, you know, it's bigger and bigger and bigger, right? And like, and the, you know, and I, I'm working on it, I'm working on it uh, for a while now too, just kind of just trying to worry about the small things and just, you know, like it's, it's at the end of the day, like half, like one three quarters of the stuff that happens is, you know, the next day or two, it's, you know, it's, that's, that's it. Like, you know, it's, you forget about it and then it's like it's nothing to really worry about um but in for my aspect it's just like i i almost can't help it but it's just it, like it's just a thing that just i've always had that problem a rib of small stuff and it, and it kind of like it almost works itself out in other ways in my life kind of thing if so. i can interject matt and thanks for sharing uh this idea that you're you're sharing this feedback loop from hell in in manson's uh terminology it's this idea of like okay you got angry about something but then you start becoming angry at yourself for the fact that you're angry. Or you may have been anxious about something, but then because you're anxious, you become more anxious about the fact that you're anxious. And this plays out in many of our unhelpful, um, not unhelpful, uh, poor choice of words, but um, unpleasant uh, emotion, emotional experiences. Um, and I think that happens to most of us in, in some respect. This is why, again, I think a mindfulness practice is so uh, foundational to our health and success because it's being able to catch that feedback loop playing out in real time, like being able to notice the anxiety and being able to pinpoint the ways in which we are now anxious about the fact that we're anxious and this downward spiral that uh, often many of us feel trapped in. Oh, I totally, Jordan. That's like that's pretty much like 100% what I, um, pretty much my thinking right there. Um, even when he bought the things about death, right? Like, I don't uh, like honestly, like I I'm scared of death, 
Um, you know, I don't think about that often. When I, uh, when I do, it's, I kind of like, I'm like, oh my God, like, I'm going like, to, I know obviously everybody dies, obviously. Um, but no, I get scared about it. Um, you know, I like for, I mean, granted, like, you know, you can walk on, on you know, on uh, across the road and boom, like that's it. Right. But you know, I've seen, I, I don't, I don't think about that kind of stuff. And I, I, I try you know, to, to live my life to the fullest, um, which, um, I'm trying, you know, try my best to do, but yeah, well, that's why they, you know, like, I mean, that's when you brought that up kind of thing where like, if you think of that mindset where it's like, Hey, you are going to die. Well, you might as well, you know, do th- all the things you can, you know, uh, when you can. Right. So, and, um, you know, that's almost, a, a, you, I'm glad you kind of, kind of talk about that. Right. Well, now it kind of changed my thinking a bit. Um, obviously, you know, I'm still obviously, uh, afraid of death, but you know, it's it putting that mindset, you know, kind of help easier to accept it. Mm-hmm. I'm glad. Thank, thank you, dude. Thank you for sharing, Maddie. Appreciate no the problem. call as always. Um, and yeah, Jordan, any closing thoughts before we move on to discussing what we might be talking about next month? You know, I I'm realizing just how much there was in this book for us to explore. I feel like there's many concepts that was left unexplored. And in, uh, I guess coming to that conclusion, I did find this book to be incredibly valuable and entertaining as well. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's valuable simply because of how popular it is and how many people have an opinion on it. Um, it, it is tremendously successful in introducing a lot of these topics to a broader audience and therefore um, definitely valuable for us to, to discuss right now. So that wraps it up. We, we uh, encourage everybody, of course, if you're interested in the book, to go check it out. Join the forum uh, where we have some supplementary materials. You can even look at the uh, uh, accompanying thread for uh, patrons out there or on postwrestling.com for this. Next month, what do we have going on, Jordan? Next month, we are going to have a guest. We're going to have a conversation with a guest. His name is David Speed. Uh, most of us in this pro wrestling community uh, would probably be familiar with his work. He uh, painted a, an incredible and very generous uh, mural of Brody Lee in London uh, just a few days after his untimely passing. Um, he is also a co-host of the Creative Rebels podcast, uh, one of the most successful creativity podcasts um, out there. Uh, you can follow him on Instagram at David Speed UK. And one of the guests uh, that have been on Creative Rebels, uh, the, the first one I checked out, was Seth Godin, uh, G-O-D-I-N. Seth Godin is the author of many books, uh, but the book that uh, David was excited for all of us to read is called The Practice. It's a book that I own and have not uh, fully dug into yet, so I'm very eager to do that. Um, and Seth Godin, just to share uh, his book that came out 10 years ago, Lynchpin, uh, literally gave me the mindset and the blueprint to build my beat well business to integrate drumming into uh, my mental health profession uh so seth godin is one of the few people that i uh i put on a pedestal quite frankly and uh have been one of the most influential people um in my lifetime even though i have never interacted with him personally so i'm very excited to interact with david i'm very excited to chat about the ideas presented by one seth godin as well it is um you know we will be talking at length about maybe just the process of being a creative and having a career in creativity and 
you know, um, fighting through things such as writer's block or maybe fear of rejection when it comes to presenting your work. So uh, he, you know, just judging by his work, he is an artist that I very much respect. And it's obviously somebody who hosts a podcast, knowing a thing or two about creativity. So I look forward to diving into this book and having this conversation with David. So we hope everybody joins us next month here at the Wellness Policy. Uh, look into your Patreon inbox to see when the date might be, but it'll probably be a Thursday and it'll probably be three o'clock Eastern time. So uh, thank you, everybody. Appreciate everybody in the Zoom room for being here. Uh, my name is Wei Ting, and you are who? Who are you? Me? I am, yeah. I'm at Jordan Beatwell on Instagram and Twitter. This is how I identify now these days, Wei. At Jordan Beatwell. Thank you so much, Jordan, for being here. And uh, as always, join us on the Discord, postwrestling.com slash Discord in the Wellness Policy channel, where, uh, you know, you could just... Type whatever thoughts you have on the podcast, uh, any recommendations you might have, or simply if you just want to check in and tell us how you're doing. There's always going to be somebody there to respond. If you have any questions for the podcast, go to forum.postwrestling.com and leave a, th- uh, a question or, or a comment in the uh, thread. How am I, how, how's, how's my plugging these days, Jordan? What do you think? Um, well, it's a very sexual term way. not sure we're going to oh, go this way. Damn, hit that cowbell for me. Uh, uh, four out of 10 and not even a wrestling reference, but an honest four out of 10 at the end wow. of, I mean, are we talking about the, the plugging? Of course, uh, we can stretch it out a bit way. Uh, I don't know if you were asking about your, your plugging in general recently or the, the specific in general, plugging in activity. General. In general. Uh, well, the, more than a four out of 10 way, I'd give you a solid, uh, seven and a half. That seems like a, a, a guilt-ridden seven. I think it's probably closer to a four. It's okay. I'll take the tough love. I have a lot of uh, plugging to work on. <laughs> I am completely transparent, dripping in guilt live on Zoom, people. Well, thank you, Jordan, for joining us, and thank you for your honest opinion. I will do my best to improve next month. But you know what? Maybe I don't even give a fuck about what mm. you think. Mm. Goodbye. <laughs>